right, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Laugh, Lend, and Eat, sponsored by uh, Homespire Mortgage. Uh, today is a very, very special day here at, on Laugh, Lend, and Eat because not only do we have one special guest, but we have two special guests simultaneously coming to us from Atlanta, Georgia. We have Rob and Casey Cunningham, the founders of Zenix Mortgage Academy. Good morning, guys. Good morning. Good morning, Bobby. How are y'all doing out there? We are. <laughs> well, today we're doing great. <laughs> are you asking about our marriage or about life? <laughs> All right, we'll, we'll dive into that momentarily. You never know where the question is going to take us, Casey. But hang tight. Well, hey, look, okay. I'm looking out the window back there. Do you guys have cloudy weather back there? Is it snow? What is that? Oh, my gosh. It does look like it. I think we're, we live in... Uh, we're day three England. of a four-day rainstorm season that stretched all the way from El Paso, Texas to Atlanta, and it's okay. nonstop for four days, so it's rain. Yeah, I thought cause I know every now and then you guys get snow, and it, it was actually 67 degrees here in D.C. yesterday. Wow. Oh, wow. I was loving it. I was loving it. So, anyway, let's get back to this thing. Casey, you have been in the business... 36 years. I did my research this morning. 36 I mean, years. You just age me. I just say 30 plus so people don't ask. Well, let, let, we'll get detail. Rob, I think, was in the business a little bit less than you, but still learned a lot, did a lot for First Tennessee Bank. Um, then you guys started your Zenix in 2002, January 2002. So you just celebrated 18 years, right? That's right. That's Correct. exactly right. I didn't, did you guys have a big party? Because I didn't get my invite. What happened? No, we did have a big party with a lot of food. <laughs> a lot of food? Well, we come to the right podcast for that. <laughs> I know it. And I'm eating while we're talking. So we're going to dive into some of these questions here. But this is a, just to let you know, Casey, what happened here is Rob and I were talking one day. And he said that nobody ever wants to interview him. And he was on his little pity party dress going on and all that. Listen, after this interview, you'll understand why. The I'm actual, just kidding. I'm just kidding. The actual comment, Bobby, was that I have a face for radio. <laughs> <laughs> and so I said, well, that's great. You should come on the podcast then. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, you guys both know I love you all madly. I, I sincerely do. I, I've enjoyed getting to know you guys. Um, Casey, that was a very cute video of your mother the other day. Man, LinkedIn, I, I saw that, right? Yeah, I wish I, I have so many I could post. There's the cutest one, man, that you would love. But well, I, I took her to a Starbucks and bought her a, uh, a drink, and she apparently didn't know what kind of drink she wanted. It is the cutest video. I ended up getting her a latte and trying to explain to her how to say it. And she goes, so it's a latte? I go, yes, mommy, it's a latte in her little Puerto Rican accent. Anyway, I've got countless videos, um, and I will treasure them when wow. she's gone. But She's going to be, what, 90 in three weeks, right? 90 years old. Yeah, we're going to make it extra special for her. So wow. we're having a party. Wow, that's great. And she looked healthy. God, I mean, God bless her. I mean, she looked Listen, she can, she can still keep up with everybody, still go up and down the stairs on her own free will. She can dance. She'll take cruises by herself. I mean, who does that? Really? Yeah. She takes, she takes Zumba classes, and she volunteers at the retirement home to help take care of the old folks. Oh. <laughs> I'll be in there momentarily to think the pace I'm going. She goes, I'm getting old. I'm like, well, Mom, when do you officially become old? You know what I mean? Right. 90's pretty old. So 
just so a lot of our, our listeners may or may not know, but Casey, you were at your height, a very, very amazing loan officer. Then you went on to become EVP of a, of a multi-billion dollar mortgage company up down there in Georgia. Um, but out of both of you all, I have to admit that I think Rob is the better salesperson. Oh, no. Here we go. Here okay. we go. And the yeah, reason I really, I mean, I thought about this ever since I've, I've decided to do both of you guys. And I said, okay, well, Rob's got to be the better one here because he got Casey to say yes. Yeah, but he was a poor closure, man. It took him five years. <laughs> so, Rob, about you now, you were at First Tennessee, right? Before you did Zenix. Yeah, First Tennessee actually owned a company uh, that's a mortgage bank. They owned about seven mortgage banks, so there was a holding company. And so uh, First Tennessee is a publicly traded company and big and widely known, and the company that we both worked for didn't make it. You know, we, we left in, what, 2000 and 2001, 99, something like that. Uh, they, they continued to operate until about 09 when the Lehman Brothers, 08, storm, 08 to the Lehman Brothers storm took them out. So I use First Tennessee as the name. The company was actually Home Bank Mortgage, okay. the name of the company, but they were owned by a parent company, which people recognize. So did you, I mean, when you, and I don't know too much about your mortgage history, Rob. We've very not, not talked about it too much, but is your mortgage history more of, of a leadership role or is it origination? It was a sales, what was it? It was specialty origination in the jumbo market space. Uh, I, after I flew for Delta Airlines for a couple of years, there was a downturn in the economy and 500 pilots got furloughed. So uh, after a few days, few months of looking around, I joined Merrill Lynch. And shortly thereafter, I got very fascinated with their specialty jumbo mortgage products for affluent borrowers. And um, I ended up sort of performing a, a marriage ceremony, if you will, between a re distributed retail mortgage company and Merrill Lynch Credit Corporation. And I put their product in the hands of 200 retail loan officers at a company Casey happened to work for. The problem was Merrill Lynch Credit Corporation didn't speak retail mortgage banking and retail mortgage banking's processes and the way in which they served borrowers and served realtors was completely different high touch, you know, high service than what a call center like credit corporation at Merrill Lynch did. So that relationship had to evolve very quickly. And ultimately we, we did, you know, two or three, $4 billion of lending on a specialty product. Once with Casey's help, she and I put together a training program. We were able to get an underwriter from Merrill Lynch, get them on staff at the mortgage company and become a delegated underwriting partner. So we could control the process all the way through closing and then sell the loan back to Merrill Lynch. Wow. Okay. So, so luckily after about four years of working three, four years working in this product field, um, I was, I was blessed and fortunate. I'd rather be lucky than good, but uh, I was Merrill Lynch's number one mortgage uh, producer on about 14,000 reps. Okay. But it was really a, a specialty product towards high net worth individuals. And Rob, recently I saw that you, about last year, looks like you joined as an advisory council member for VA team. Yes. You want to talk about that for a second? Sure. It's a, it's a veteran uh, organization founded and operated by veterans for veterans to help with both education, uh, employment, and lending, and real estate. So it's a, it's a gentleman that uh, has got quite an extensive background in the industry, and he approached me uh, with my veteran background. 
he's got a board, a COO and a chief attorney and a product designer. And okay. uh, the franchise owners are all veterans. And his, his, his mission is to really create an end-to-end ecosystem that comprises of veterans that really understands veterans really well and takes great care of that veteran community and not necessarily just sees them as a, uh, as a better profit margin business, but an actual group that, that deserves the respect and the care that, that they've earned. Yeah, that's, that's good. That's outstanding. So I know based on my conversations with you and Casey, um, and then we were kind of joking about it right now when, when we started talking with the, obviously this historical lows that we're seeing the 10 year bond in right now, I think is below one, I think it was 0.97 something this morning. Yes, sir. Right? Yeah. So uh, there's some people that are just busier that, I mean, I know that in my in my day job, <laughs> I, re, I, I recruit for a living, right? So uh, I bring people on board and I, I was talking to a gentleman, he's literally taken 40 applications in like 10 days. Uh, just an amazing number of applications this gentleman's taking. Um, how do you see that impacting managers like myself saying, I still have, I still want to br- think about 2021 and bringing on board rookies and people who've never had any experience in this business? I think there's multiple ways uh, this market, you want to take advantage of it while you can, realizing that it's not going to be the future long-term. But right now, bringing on people quickly uh, to support and assist in this uh, tidal wave uh, is prudent, if you will, to take advantage of it. So. Uh, making sure you can get them on staff. And obviously we have a program that where we bring people up to speed quickly and been able to prove it out uh, over the last 18 years. And uh, we're able to put a rookie, literally get them competent in Fannie, Freddie, FHAVA, refis, et cetera, property assets, income liabilities, credit, all of that within two to three weeks uh, where they can actually understand the language and then, then move them into deal structuring, which is only a week to two weeks later. So we can get people up to speed very quickly in this market. But um, I think creating some structure and process, uh, getting them in your pipeline quickly and out uh, as fast as possible so you're not having to manage them um, is the first thought. But keeping people focused, uh, not abandoning the referral partners, mm-hmm. uh, making sure you continue to keep them at the front because somebody's going to go after them and take your business while you're taking advantage of this if you're not very purposeful and intent on maintaining those relationships. So great process there. But I I guess the question I'm thinking of is, is, and I'm thinking about myself, mostly cases, so I'm guilty, right, is how do you get guys like me to say, hey, Fab, you still got to worry about 12 to 18 months down the road. What are you doing? I mean, how do you get us to start thinking about the moment and thinking about the long-term picture. Well, well let, me, let me comment on that as well real briefly. I'll let Casey uh, continue. But I, I think you're, you're wise beyond your years, Fabi, because culture is destiny. And one of the things these interest rates are doing is creating a lot of publicity and focus and attention on the mortgage industry, not only from a borrower standpoint, but man, that looks like a job or career path I might want to get into. Looks okay. like people are making a lot of money. So if you're only thinking awesome. about your, your current operational inefficiencies or, or, or massive loan volume, and you're not proactively looking for talent, I, I say this until people around here kind of get sick and tired of hearing me say it, but there's never 
a bad time to hire a great salesperson and to look for talent for people that might want to join our industry. If you've got a focus beyond six weeks or six months, you should be looking for talent because we have countless, countless stories of, look, if we can bring people up to an eight, 10, $15 million year one producer, as many as you can find, we can develop them turnkey for you without you getting caught in the quicksand, but we can add to your team. So whether you're a rainmaker, whether you're a branch manager, or whether you're a national sales manager, talent is never going to go out of style. You have yeah. to always be looking for it. You make a great point. You make a, such a great point that this is really the opportunity to get new blood into the market because yeah. the attraction is there because of the low interest rates. And every time I turn on the news now, everyone's talking and I guess no one's really talking that the federal reserve rate cut doesn't really impact the mortgage rates. And I'm not going to go down that road on this with you guys, but you, you and I all know that that's not really that connected, but yet the media is hyping it up out there every day. And I'm getting calls. I haven't taken a loan app in five years from past clients saying, can you please refinance me? And so it's that, that crazy right now. Well, you know, Fabi, I keep thinking about our industry and you know me well enough and you've been part of some private conversations I've been having with our board. Um, and one of the big concerns I have for our industry at large and the immaturity uh, of growing talent and growing it very methodically, right? Right now, uh, having an opportunity to come into an industry and make a decent living is great, but what's going to really build our industry long-term is not just making a good living, but having growth and having opportunity to advance. And the current, uh, we already know the aging sales force is here. Um, what's the next generation going to look like? And they're looking for great cultures. They're looking for people who give back organizations that have a heart and a soul. So the number one, uh, initiative for virtually anybody listening in is how do you build that career path and how do you build an amazing culture so that you do have a, a, a company and a business that's going to be sustainable and that's going to help continue to capture market share. And so uh, I believe that every person who enters this industry should have a career path that they can actually follow, whether it goes, uh, whether they start in ops or sales is not really what's relevant. It's where are they going to go long-term? Is it going to be leadership? Are they going to be, go into becoming a top salesperson where they create a team and or have, uh, have a legacy? And how do you create that? So um, I think every leader right now, albeit, you know, you handle current problems and current infrastructure, you got to build for the future. And yeah. so. And, and you both were, have said the word culture. You know what I mean? And, and to me, it's something that I know we all talk about it. We all talk about culture. We all talk about the culture of a company. How do you guys see culture, I guess, from the time that I've been in the industry, right? We didn't even used to word, use the word culture. When I first got in the business, I don't, I don't think I heard anybody use that word. And nowadays it seems to be like a buzzword. It does, it does. Right? I mean, and so everyone's using the word culture, but do you see the culture of the mortgage industry changing where it's now more order taking or do you still see the guys creating relationships inside their universe? I'm seeing both. I think the word culture is every company has a culture, whether they've intentionally built it or not. The question is we want a healthy culture because uh, and, and healthy culture is reflected in 
the performance in retention in um, what I consider the is is uh, attracting amazing talent where people want to stay there and work there. But you know, with this world of technology, uh, you can now. Uh, your culture is going to be more amplified than ever before. In the old days, you could have a culture. Nobody even knew about it, understood mm -hmm. it. You just show up and you get to work. Well, you think about it over the last 20 years and this huge wave of uh, having, and again, looking at the millennials and looking at the, the next generation, they want to have a place that there's fulfillment, there's reward, there's acknowledgement. And, uh, you got to be, I think, in my opinion, incredibly careful and cautious on that culture because that's your brand now. Yeah. And your brand, and you know, we've always talked about brand, but that's sort of a, a new way of looking at brand equals culture. Yeah. And, yeah. and what do you represent in the market? So with with millennials, though, and I'm I know, you, you know, when I whenever I'm getting ready to talk to you guys, or you, I, I'm always doing a lot of reading. And I know somewhere in my reading of, of some interview you did, Casey, you talked about recruiting millennials. Sure. Is there a difference between recruiting a millennial versus recruiting someone who's been in the business for the last 10, 15 years? Is there a major difference that we should all be aware of? Rob, you're shaking your head yes here. I can see that. Yeah. Um, big picture, demographics, okay? The baby boomers of which we're all a part of by the year 2030, every single baby boomer alive will be over 65 years old. Okay, a stat, I read, a stat I read last week says that from this point going forward for the next 15 years, 5,000 millennials will turn 30 every week for the next 10 years or 15 years. Why is that important? Because millennials want to feel like they're making a, a difference. They want to feel like they, there's a purpose between you know what they do every day they're serving other people they also are into learning they want to know where am I going to be one year and two years and five years and ten years so they like to sort of have a vision of, of where they're going in their career they, so culturally maybe it's through education maybe it's just through you know evolution whatever we want to call it the demographics are very different between you know the baby boomer era and millennials and even the gen z behind them they do want a sense of purpose they want to influence they want to lead they want to make a difference and they don't want it just to be a slogan so culture in my world means you know when marketing and sales and operation and, and everything that they promote are actually true <laughs> you know what you stand for your values how you serve other people how you treat other people how you treat the least among us yeah. It's very important. It's much more of a priority in the consciousness of the millennials than, than, than maybe it was when we were growing up. And uh, so you can't fake that, you know. And one of the things I love to sell executives when I talk to them is the single most important, one of the top three things that are important for executives is, is, is culture. The fish rot from the head down. We've always heard that. Mm -hmm. And culture can't be outsourced. It can't be... I'm going to be a jerk, but HR, you take care of culture. You know, you can't out, you can't be a one type of personality that doesn't care about anything, but then you're going to hire a bunch of loving, you know, caring mentors as managers all across the country. It just, there can't be that disconnect. And the ownership of culture has got to rest in the C-suite. 
You know, it's interesting. My daughter, and I hope she doesn't listen to this podcast. I'm going to talk about her for a second. She's 25 years old. She's got her master's from Virginia Tech, so go Hokies, <laughs> right? <laughs> um, she's a high school counselor. It's exactly what she wanted to do. And she got her dream job at the high school she graduated working with the counselor that she loved. So everything, like, worked out exactly the way, you know what I mean? Like, God gave her everything she prayed for. It was amazing. So then she comes up to me a few months ago and says, hey, Dad, I want to buy a house but I want to buy it in the same zip code that you live in. So I don't want to be too far away. And I'm looking at her saying, you just kind of college, you know what I mean? First year in high school and you want to live in one of the most expensive counties in America. (laughs) (laughs) Of course she does. (laughs) I love her to death. I mean, there's nothing I wouldn't do for her. Right. But I'm thinking to myself, when I bought my first house, it was, I was worried about the mortgage payment, not the drive to my work. I could give a, I, I didn't care if I drove 30 miles one way. It was like, can I afford that mortgage payment? And today it feels like the younger generation is more about convenience. You know what I mean? What, I, I guess whatever we've kind of given them, and, it, it, and I'm coming back to this, is when I think about recruiting this generation, is there a different mindset that I need to have then in order to show them what we were bringing to the table? Absolutely. I think there is a different mindset and I've had to learn it over the years because I just mentioned the conversation uh, that brand equals culture. One of the old days, uh, you know, you go to work for somebody to work, to make a living. Now there's uh, the mindset of I want to make a difference and I want to be part of something special. And so I do think that the era that Rob and I are in in that age group of being baby boomers, uh, we have to be that much more conscious about creating a great culture. And it's got to be very intentional. I remember um, one of my uh, previous heads of marketing, amazing lady, who, who shared with me that she was tasked to create a great culture. Hey, I want to win culture awards. Not by me. This is her previous company. And she said, we could not win a culture award to save our life. Because the leader, uh, as Rob said, you know, the fish rots from the head down. Um, but it's got to be very intentional. And what makes a great culture is by fulfilling their dreams, their ambitions, letting them know you care. And listen, we fall short every day as leaders at Zenith. We work really hard. We keep winning awards, but I know it's not enough. I mean, in the sense that we've got to be purposeful on the way in which we communicate, the way in which we love and value people. Uh, And I'd encourage any, and and by the way, you know, we don't do it to win the awards. We do it because it's the right thing, right? Because as leaders, you're supposed to love and value your people. But we came from an era that if the boss said, do it, you did it, and you didn't have to like them or respect them, right? Right. Now the era is, hey, I have choices in the market with the click of a button. I can move. I can leave the company. I can do this somewhere else. And you have to realize that, and I think almost all leaders listening in would agree that you know your greatest assets are the people that work for you or you don't exist. But are you intentional is the question I would ask. And mm. what we believe is, really looking at your culture. Uh, Bobby, you've heard me talk about the eight levers of engagement. Yep. There was a great study by the Corporate Leadership Council where they did an assessment evaluation of 50,000 employees, one of the largest studies worldwide, where they were looking to see that performance equals engage, engagement equals performance, right? The higher the engaged the employee is, the better they'll perform for your brand, your company. Well, they came up, uh, they concluded that there were eight levers that drive engagement and culture was one of them. And if you're not intentional in building a great organizational culture, 
you may be missing the opportunity to get the highest performance from people and to attract the best talent. Yeah, that's, that's so powerful what you just said, because one of the things I took away when I was on that panel with you with that engagement, uh, uh, the dilemma, engagement dilemma, was I remember thinking, how do I get more of the employees involved? How do I get, you know I mean? So it came back to me. It wasn't about the employees. Right. It was about me and what I could do and what I should be doing. And I think too often leaders are looking for someone else to do something rather than doing it themselves. Would you agree guys with that? Or is totally that agree. Totally agree. We own it. Listen, how we communicate, how we treat, meet, you know, set the example, lead by example, all of that. We, we drive it. Well, and, and to add to that, Fabi, I think, you know, it, it almost sounds like a self-serving layup here, but it's true. So I'm going to repeat it. But part of that culture and part of making a difference is the younger generation expects learning and development. They, they expect professional development. That was actually one of the levers. Is and, training and, and so you have to realize, you know, if we take a little stro stroll down memory lane, we came from an industry when we all got in it, it was a rate sheet, a business card, and a slap on the rear end and don't hurt yourself, you know, two thumbs up, go get them, tiger. And, and you know, we have a lot of legacy, if you will, in some respects of that sort of mentality still in existence today. And there is a total disconnect because millennials expect to be trained. They expect to be up to speed. They, ex they expect to be subject matter experts and be equipped to go out and be successful. And so, you know, there's a lot of, well, I didn't, you know, I figured it out on my own. You can figure it out. Or now it's, well, you well, it's even more expensive to produce loans and we'll pay for you to get your licensing. But then, you know, the licensing, I like to say, is like cover charge to get in the bar. It doesn't yeah. really train you what to do once you're inside the bar. You know, I yeah. mean, how do you deal structure? How do you build a business plan? How do you do creative financing? How do you, you know, what's the basis point? <laughs> I mean, all of the basics that we all take for granted, we're teaching a foreign language to a group of people that have never been in our industry before. So what is our culture's approach to preparing the next generation to not just fake it till they make it, but empower them to be successful. Bobby, I, you know, you can tell me the industry at large, uh, it's really interesting since we are sort of a feeder system for the industry and building talent. And we're a barometer, right? Uh, for what's going on in the market when uh, there's the surge of business that comes unexpected. Everybody wants to bring newbies in, right? Right. Uh, once it gets to, uh -oh, we're back to steady state. Not sure if I want to bring anybody new in. And Rob has always been, you know, there's never a bad time to hire a good salesperson. But why aren't, why, why is the industry not more strategic about bringing in the talent? And I think, quite frankly, is they don't know how, right? And, and they don't have the patience. And, you know, you listen, business, great businesses were not built overnight. And mine is, I mean, I just spent three months, uh, hired a large sales group, did not let them talk to a customer for three months. And I trained them. Wow. And I'm sitting there and, and everybody in this industry is like, what do you mean for three months? I'm like, yeah, I, I put them on payroll, put them in a room, uh, trained them, tested them, quizzed them, did everything. Because the last thing I want to do is compromise the brand. But our industry at large does not do that. What do they do? Put them in the market. 
Come shadow me. Let me show you. It's, 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 it's related to expense, obviously, right? Because I mean, one of the big things that I've always been is, is a PL guy. I've always watched the, the, the dollars and the cents. And, you know, whenever you're making that large of investment, it, it, it comes down to is if I make that investment, is this in this person, is it the right person? Right? Is this person going to survive or after 90 days they say, hey, this isn't for me? I think that's where the mystery comes in, Casey. Is like, am well, I going to? We can help. Yeah, the, we can help in the selection. The process. vetting process is 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 eighty-five or ninety percent of the game. It, right. it really is. It's why are they coming to the industry? Are they fleeing from something? Are they coming to us? Do they have the wherewithal to persevere? Do they realize it's going to take them one to two years to build a sustainable business practice? I mean, do they have these skills and the repeatable, scalable process to give them the training and the support that they need without the company having to absorb that or getting caught in the quicksand of trying to develop people? So, to, yeah, to your point, it's, it's – I'll give you an anecdotal example that we're still eating the same dog food that we believed in 25 years ago, okay, because 25 years ago there was this kid – that was uh, six years in the Marine Corps and 16 years as a California Highway Patrol officer. And he decided to move his family from California to Atlanta. Three years in real estate. And three, he had had three years kind of trying to be a real estate agent, decided, you know what, that, I, this isn't working. This is not for me. I want to try something else. So he meandered into the mortgage industry, went through the program Casey Design. So let's talk P&L. Three months on the payroll going through training. His first year, he closed 168 loans. Wow. And he's now our national sales manager. Oh, wow. <laughs> so talk about not only sustainability, let's talk about P&L, let's talk about vetting, and let's talk about investments in training. Yeah. The question is, what's your ROI time frame? Is it one quarter, one month, one year, or five years? That's the real question that the culture owners have to ask themselves. And the other question is, what if I do, what if I have a 50% success rate? If you have a 40% success rate, you're in the hall of fame. You're not going to get everyone right. But those that you do get right are going to more than pay for the ones that didn't make it. And I think it'd be great to be able to see a chart like you just put, 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 put there, Rob. I think it'd be awesome to see a chart of, of say, okay, look, forget 40%, 40% is hall of fame. Let's talk about 25%. If I get you one out of four success, this is what your return is going to be. I mean, if we can see charts like that, Rob, that would, I, have, I mean, I'm just giving an idea. It just came in my head, right? I love it. Yeah, I love the idea. Bobby, here's the part that frustrates me, and uh, I know we're getting real now, so, right, I got to, uh, is the frustrating part is, you know, okay, what if I train them and they don't make it? Well, what if you don't train them and they don't make it? I well, mean, they, they just stay. ruined your brand. <laughs> what if I mean, they don't, you don't train them and they stay around for five years? I mean, <laughs> no, no, I mean listen, I, I there's think there's a higher probability of success when you train them. I think there's in the story. I, I, I wholeheartedly agree that there is a, a, a huge slice of the, of the talent space that we are neglecting. And I use the word neglecting because I think that's the right way to put it, right? Yeah. But I think it takes people like yourself to show us these numbers because I think that's where we're going to be motivated to, to take action. I'm just, I'm just. It's all about the numbers. It right? is. It is. If, if we, listen, I, I have email after email after email from our students that are graduating who uh, a million, million and a half million first three months in the business. You're like, what? That's exactly the intent. 
Why do people think, and I, I disagree with Rob when you say you got to be prepared, you know, for two years to break even. You can break even in three months. Oh, I, mean, I never said that. Well, when you said that people have to know that it's going to take a year to two years to build a good business. No, to build a, well, to get up to your 10 referral partners, okay, to get a really established network where you've got a completely repeatable, look, the, the, when we start out in this business, it's 99% prospecting, right? Right. You're going out for relationship. Hopefully, five to ten years in, you're spending maybe 50-50 prospecting, you know, 60-40. I mean, after a time when you've built a reputation and a brand and some referral partners, it's not 100% prospecting all the time. It's client service and maintenance. So my well, point was, being is it doesn't matter if you're a, de a brand-new dentist, a brand-new CPA, a brand-new attorney, or a brand-new mortgage banker or stockbroker you're going to have to invest your capital to grow your brand and your franchise, you know, for 12 to 24 months to get established in your community. I'm not in trouble. Hey, hey, let me, let me ask you guys something. We're going to switch. We're going to switch gears here for a second because I just saw the interaction there and I love it. So for the people listening, they don't get the visual that I get. So I, I'm going to jump in here. 18 years working together, right? <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> that's a miracle is what it is right that's what I, how do you guys make it work i mean listen I, and once again i hope my daughter and my wife now don't listen to this podcast my wife wanted to be a processor one time for my company yeah when you and, when you, <laughs> and i soft pedaled out of there like backwards so quickly you know what I mean? yeah 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 so wow. i gotta ask how do you guys make it work how, what, what is the secret i want to hear rob's answer don't, don't, don't see two words i'm patient <laughs> creative friction that's what he's going to call it creative call friction it pain in mind. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. you can fill in the blanks on that one you know oh, what? No, he's i'm on one end of the building he's on the other that's how we make the it. building leans a little bit towards my end oh, the, of the weight of responsibility oh my god <laughs> that's it that's it no, it, it, you know what? No, I mean, do you guys do you guys do you guys take it take this outside? Like, do you guys carry it home? Do you guys carry it on your vacations? I mean, does it stop? Is I there had like this? Draw the line when he had me captive in the shower, Father. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> like, listen, I need to be able to be in my bedroom. My That's bathroom. a little too much information. I know, but I'm like, stop talking about it. We've got to have one safe place. So when we cross the threshold <laughs> into the bedroom, there's no conversations about this. All right. So look, here's my here's my most amazing question that I came up with when I was putting this interview together. Oh, Lord, here we go. I, this is for me, like, when I saw this, I put a smile on my face, okay? So I hope it does the same for you guys, but, and I don't know how it's going to work, but we'll see how this works, because it's, it's really designed for both of you all, but... <laughs> and you didn't prep us. I have no idea what you're about to ask. I know. I'm trying my best, because I want to make sure we get this. So, is there something, Casey, you would say to a younger Rob today? You know what I mean? If you had an opportunity to go back 20 years, would there be something you would say to a younger Rob? Oh, man, that's a great question. I got to pause for it. Yes, I would say to a younger Rob. I've never seen anybody stump her without words to say, Bobby. Thank you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to answer it. <laughs> I'm going to come up with something. You're going to pull something out. What right. would I say to a younger Rob? Run. For me? <laughs> Are you stupid? Is what I would have said. <laughs> What took you so long? <laughs> what took Lord. you so long? Oh my God! To a younger Rob. No, because I was actually thinking about because my wife and I we're, we just celebrated twenty seven years, and so I was wondering. I said, I wonder what she would tell me from nineteen ninety three. You know what I mean? And so, really, it applies to me just as much as it applies to you guys. So, Rob, on on your side, is there something you would say to a younger Casey? Uh, 
Wow. You had more time to ponder it. Or when I was 10 years old? No, I, I literally, I mean, to be completely honest, I'd probably just say, you know, it's not advice. I would just say, don't change a thing. I mean, wow. I, I mean, honestly, we're like, it, it's kind of crazy when people see us because we're both in our own, in certain ways, we're both very A-type and very <laughs> headstrong. <laughs> but in other ways, she's very operational and, and buttoned and detailed and process engineer driven and should have been a computer programmer in the Marine Corps, you know, and, and I should have, I should have been a Hollywood movie director. Oh, I like oh, story selling and I like big picture stuff and dreaming and, and that sort of, I mean, I'm not saying she does it as well, but she's got this unbelievable lane of detail and organization and process and delegation and, I'm kind of all over the map. I'm a hot mess. Okay. So uh, it just works. It just works. I remember those pictures of, of your daughters when Casey left you alone for like four hours. Or <laughs> <laughs> Is that the kind of director you're talking about? The Hollywood directing? That's the hot, that's oh, the hot mess. Piece. Listen, yeah. I just got him to find a dishwasher. So I'm really happy right now. I'm a great trainer, right? Cause I've trained him to open the dishwasher. Uh, for anybody listening, ladies, I've actually came home the other day and the sink was clean. So that was nice coming from a trip. Uh, you know, we make it work because there's a mutual respect for each other's skills. And also the fact that we're human beings, we fall short from the glory of God every day. Uh, but we love each other and we respect each other in the skill set and the lane that we're in. And it took time to figure that out, though, Fabi. You know, 18 years in business, uh, when we first started uh, trying to figure out what our skill sets were and where should we play. Um, and you know, we married for life. We knew it. Uh, and I, I know my husband's heart. I know who he is as a human being. Doesn't mean he doesn't make me crazy at times. And I don't want to, and I know physical beating is not allowed, but, um, <laughs> we get to laugh together and cry together. And, uh, I couldn't be more blessed Bobby because that younger Rob and the Rob that's with me today is still my biggest cheerleader. Wow. And, wow. It takes a really strong man to be with a woman who's not honestly equally strong because he's my hero. Lord, he flew for our country and he didn't like me to talk about it because it's not, he's not a braggadocious man, but he's a brilliant man. And so I respect that craziness about him and that insane, you know, what about this idea? What about this idea? And he respects the fact that I can listen and discern it and really talk about what say no to about 99% yeah. of my ideas. But there's going to be one. <laughs> I know there is. I'm waiting on it. It's sitting on the edge. So but you're saying that 18 one years day I'm going to get credit for something. So, okay. let me, let, yeah. so let, let's dive one step deeper. Who came with the idea of Xenix? Casey did. Casey did. Okay. <laughs> Case. I was waiting to see if he said that because he didn't. Well, he would not be. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, we both come, you know, our, both of our parents were school teachers. We both come from loving learning and development. Uh, I was an instructor pilot in the Air Force. I was an instructor at Merrill Lynch. I would go up to their Princeton campus and teach other brokers what I was doing and how I was networking with loan officers and how I was using their program. Casey's mama was a teacher, you know, for 48 years. Uh, Casey, 38. 38, she, Casey built an amazing training program at her prior company. That's where I met her. And so it was very logical for her to be able to think, you know, this applies at one company. Why can't it apply nationally? Hmm. And so we, we blended, you know, our, her mortgage banking and training expertise 
with my military and aviation and financial services training. And we kind of blended those disciplines together. And our, our initial concept was let's create something that it's blue ocean, but Harvard meets Paris Island. Father, yeah. the real story is that, uh, the real story, that was a true story. All that was true. But I believe, um, you know, when I left my last organization, I left with no intentions uh, of what I was going to do. And you didn't know what you were going to do. I had no idea. And I had an amazing husband said, I said, I think it's time for me to go. And I resigned without a job and um, sat on the back porch for a few months praying about what was I, what was I intended to, uh, what did, why did God put me here? What am I supposed mm -hmm. to do? Open a mortgage company, become a training director, go run one. I had a lot of options on the table. I literally looked at every aspect of my life and said, where did I get the greatest level of joy? Where are my giftings that I think I have? And uh, I believe this is um, not my company. It's God's company. So I got this moment, this vision that said, okay, I walked into my husband. I said, this is what I think I want to do. And again, being the amazing man he is, he goes, he goes, do it. There's no way uh, it won't work. And where he had the confidence, you know, any opening up a new organization and taking that risk uh, for anybody. If you don't feel like there's a risk, you're crazy. But uh, he was my greatest encourager and said, uh, "Let's do this." And so oh, I got, I got here a, we are. I have a, I have a funny anecdotal story. Yeah, we got, we got a few minutes. Uh, funny anecdotal story to tell you. Once we decided this is what we were going to do, um, we went on Thanksgiving break, sat on the. Yeah, at, at grandma's house, at Casey's mother's Wait a house. The idea came before September 11th happened. Yeah, and then is. September 11th well, happened, well, and I'm like, oh, bad idea to open up a, a, a new company in the middle of what we considered the world was coming to an end, if you recall. Yeah, we were, we were married in June of 01. Three months later, 9-11 happened, and three months after that, we opened Cenex. We're crazy. And so, but we had done a spreadsheet on the business plan uh, at, uh, over the uh, for a weekend at her mother's house, and we laid out. We put all the variables out on a spreadsheet. In year one, we hit our business plan numbers within fifteen thousand dollars. Wow! It was crazy. In year one, on what we thought. Now the mix of products and how it worked. Now it turned out was a little bit different, but uh, it was. I mean, it was truly formed out of the basement of our house, and we you know built a website and hired our first employee and off to the races we went. And um, it Has was- the primary mission changed or modified? I mean, obviously look, you guys, the, the, your, your model has matured, I'm sure. Has there been any modification to the primary purpose that you guys started off with in that basic no. meeting? No, it was always to um, empower others and to help transform their lives and bring a solution to them where they could plug in and get to the next level and do it in such a way that we would be considered the Ritz-Carlton of the mortgage training space, where we would do it with a lot of love, a lot of care and passion, um, and to set the example. And that was a big one too. I never wanted to be a hypocrite when we built the company. And it's like, if we're gonna ask people to achieve excellence, we certainly have got to achieve excellence for ourselves, for our marriage, for um, how we sell and how we leave. So anyway. Well, Fabi, the one thing too that separates us to this day from the day we opened the company, I think from others is that accountability is our key ingredient. And what I mean by that is we never wanted to just show up and throw up or, or, or just, you know, somebody pay a fee and get a degree from us. We wanted, we wanted there to be a meaningful impact that we could measure. And so how do you do that? 
you have to have accountability. And so in order, you know, we, we set up parameters that, you know, training, you got to sign an agreement to get in the program. If you don't do what you said you're going to do, we'll politely ask you to leave because we don't want to waste our time just hearing ourselves talk. We don't want to waste your company's time and money. We don't want to waste your time if you don't want to be here. So unless we can make an impact, you know, let's, let's just agree to go in a different direction. And sure. so we've never let go of that desire for accountability to be in a key ingredient in everything that we do because we ultimately we have a fiduciary responsibility to the student, the student's employer, our brand, and our associates that work for us. So, you know, if we don't do right by everybody involved and people don't perform well or they don't get any value from what it is that we do, then we're cheating everybody involved in the equation. Yeah, that's good. That's good. All right, we are coming close to the end here. A um, couple of things I'm going to ask you real quick on a blind, blind, speeding pace. Social media. What's your favorite social media page? Anything? Favorite social media platform? Yes. Uh, it depends on what, uh, who you are, what position you're in, uh, as to what I would leverage personally. Um, today, we leverage LinkedIn a lot. Uh, it's a business platform because uh, we know that that, because we're a B2B company and we, we talk to executives often, they have their own context of what they allow. So we really leverage social, uh, the, the uh, LinkedIn uh, platform. But man, I'm all about Facebook, Instagram, a lot of opportunities there. Okay. And then and the last thing I want to ask is that since this is laugh, lend, and eat, right? So, <laughs> and you we all travel a lot, right? And, and the one thing I do love about Georgia, Atlanta, and the Souths really is that any restaurant that you go to, macaroni and cheese is considered a side vegetable. <laughs> on the menu. So I love that. But is there like a comfort food that you guys crave when you're on the road that you come home to? When you come home, like, is there something like, I know for me, I can tell you what it is, but I'd rather hear what your guys is. Our favorite meal together at home? Yeah, like you've been traveling on the road for a few days. You start craving this comfort food. Something that just reminds you of you don't have anything, huh? Uh, well, I don't cook, so yeah, <laughs> that's a four-letter word. Four -letter word for her, but you know <laughs> but what? I did cook last night, and I do cook. I'm just not an exceptional. I have to have a recipe. Um, but I would say macaroni and cheese for our kids is like their favorite um, for sure. Uh, but the Spanish rice and beans for my mom, that's like mm -hmm. my comfort food, man. Whew. Uh, Puerto Rican rice and beans. Gourmet, gourmet Mexican food for me, and I can get that anywhere on the road. Yeah. Um, but our I favorite meal is sushi. Yep. So if you said, yep. what's uh, what are the Cunningham okay. kids? Uh, sushi. sushi. And now we got our kids hooked on it. I told them they better date some very uh, wealthy boys because that is not cheap stuff, right? <laughs> <laughs> you guys know uh, Laura Brandeo from AFR? You guys met her? I don't think so. I think you interviewed her recently. I think I saw a podcast. I did. I did. And, and her. I, I uh, and her favorite thing was uh, um, something with her that her mom used to make pot roast, and she said the minute she smells it, she's like going back in time like 30, 40 years. So, anyway, guys, we are coming close to the end of time. I can see you guys have a busy schedule. Also, we're gonna wrap it up once again. Thank you so much for your time, um, Zenix Mortgage Academy. You guys know how much I believe in it. Uh, so keep doing what you're all doing for this in the industry, and we'll keep uh, talking. As soon as we get out of here. I got to say thank you for the time and for making us laugh a little bit and making me realize that, yes, he can stay. We'll stay married for a little bit longer. I'm employed for another month. <laughs>
Thank God. <laughs> I'd have to get you on the show again, huh, Rob? Love you, brother. Thank you. All right, man. Thank you so much for everything, guys. Take care. Bye-bye.